Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. It's a Monday version of In the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Welcome back. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Lots of great NBA action uh, on TV. That was uh, no doubt about it. Just a slew of games. Uh, enjoyed every second of it, no question about it. Um, not too worried about the Lakers. Uh, after last year, losing every uh, first game of every playoff series, they know how to bounce back. So uh, we'll keep an eye out on all that. I know uh, a whole bunch of Raider fans are also NBA fans, uh, as we all are. So uh, keep a track of that. Obviously, keep a track of the Golden Knights, um, who can clinch their playoff series against the Minnesota uh, Wild tonight uh, over at, um, I think they're here, back home in Las Vegas. So uh, so that's uh, keep an eye on that. That's always uh, fun, seeing the, the, the locals advance in the playoffs, so we're all rooting for the Golden Knights without question. Uh, and then the Raiders, making news. Well, I mean, if you consider starting probably the most important phase of their off-season program, which begins tomorrow, phase three uh, of OTAs. Finally, finally, finally get a chance uh, as media members uh, to go take a, a look-see at, uh, at what this team looks like at this point in the calendar. Uh, get a chance to watch some 11-on-11s and 7-on-7s and 7-on-9s, offense against defense, Derek Carr throwing to... Uh, Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and all the new wide receivers and Kenyon Drake and Yannick Ngakwe and Malcolm Koontz, the rookie from Buff the University of Buffalo, Trevon Morig, uh, the new free safety from uh, TCU, will finally get a chance uh, this week, probably uh, on Wednesday, uh, to get a look and then report back to you guys on on what we uh, what we got a chance to see. So I'm really looking forward to it. It is an important time of year. That's why you see a bunch of players across the NFL. Um, kind of going back on their vote, which I always felt was a vote of obligation and not really out of want to. Uh, from their perspective, I think most players in the NFL, even the established stars like Aaron Donald and guys like that, they on Patrick Mahomes, they understand the importance of team building right now. Uh, the semantics of voluntary, yeah, it's 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 voluntary. But you know, as we saw in the David Irving situation last weekend. You know, voluntary doesn't mean voluntary for everybody. You know, there's there's 90 players on rosters right now. There's 53 spots available, of which probably, you know, looking at the Raiders realistically right now, you'd probably say that about 42, 43, I have to look it up again, uh, 42 or 40, 43 are, are, are fairly set in stone. Obviously, guys got to come and, and compete for their jobs and show that they're, you know, where they were last year or better. Um, you know, hopefully, but for the most part, a lot of the spots are foregone conclusions uh, at this point. So what you're doing is taking about 40 other players, a little bit more than 40 other players, that are going to be competing for about 10 open roster spots. That's really what it boils down to when you think about it. And of course, you know, there's also, um, you know, the uh, uh, practice squad and guys impressing enough to make the practice squad. We don't know what the rules are uh, this year so far on, on practice squad players. I'm hoping that it was the same that, that it will be the same as last year. Uh, I think they had 16. They increased it by you know uh, by a handful. 
Last year, you were able to really uh, have a lot of flexibility uh, with the practice squad. I think that's important. Um, I think there's guys, we saw guys like Theo Reddick, um, who came in and signed originally last year with the Raiders or across the league. We saw this. Uh, guys who were veterans and pretty much either at the end of the line or, or you know, weren't really being given any opportunities on 53-man rosters to come in and, and, and really, uh, you know, compete for a 53-man spot. But uh, because, you know, of the situation last year, it behooved teams to go out and sign some veteran players uh, who were okay with being on practice squad, squad uh, status with the opportunity at some point during the season, as we saw in all the cases, basically, uh, Theo Reddick being a prime example, guys got opportunities to get on the 53-man roster because of injuries, because of COVID-19 and all the madness that was going on with that. So I'm hoping that they that they allow for more flexibility like they did last year. And by flexibility, I mean, A, increasing the number of players that are on practice squads. I think that's important. It's great for jobs. It's great for development. Uh, there's a lot of good football players out there. I laugh when I hear, oh, he's he's terrible. Yeah, go watch these guys at practice. This is the top 1%. Every guy that they put on the field has some semblance of talents. Now, relatively speaking to their peers, obviously, that there's, there's the... the great players and the good players and the average players and the not so average players but um, but pretty much if you're on a roster right now you've got a lot, not just a lot of talent but a ton of talent whether that translates um, you know uh, into an actual NFL career for a lot of these guys unfortunately uh, it doesn't always work out that way but I hope that they extend the amount of players or keep intact from last year the amount of players on a practice squad uh, the flexibility of being able to uh, you know, bring guys up and, and put them back on the practice squad. But also, there was that, I think it was either two or three, per, there was a provision for um, a certain amount of guys, veteran players, who in the past, because of their service time, had already, um, they, they played their way out of consideration to be on practice squads. They were no longer eligible to be on practice squads because they had... Uh, played too much, actually, in the NFL. Guys like Theo Redder uh, in 2019 wouldn't have been eligible to be uh, put away on a, on a practice squad um, and, and be able to, to be around and be in the building and practice with the team and keep in shape so that just in case a team like the Raiders or anybody else needed to dip into that population of their, uh, of their overall roster, they'd have a veteran player that they can count on to give them some positive snaps. And... I think it's great because I think there are a lot of guys like Theo Reddick um, who are, hey, you know, maybe we're not getting any uh, opportunities to come in and, and really compete for a 53-man roster spot, but I'm okay with, you know, making a little bit of money. It's not, you know, uh, NFL 53-man roster money, but it's still a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, chunk of change. I, I think I want to say it's like $11,000 or so a week. I'd have to look at it. Uh, to be able to be ready and to be in the building and to be available and if, uh, if, if somebody needs goes down and a team needs a veteran player, boom, um, they've got a trusted player uh, right there in the building that, that uh, they've been monitoring and has been practicing and understands the system. So I, I really do hope uh, that that uh, is, is the case. Uh, but again, you know, we look across the NFL, the Raiders begin their first day of, uh, of Phase 3 tomorrow. Today was part of the rookie program, the rookie orientation, which has been ongoing for a while now. A lot of people don't really 
know that that goes on, but throughout the offseason, the rookies are, are on hand quite a bit across the NFL, and there's a bunch of different things that you're trying to do as an organization, really as a league, to get them acclimated uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, not just as football players, as potential NFL players, but life skills um, and, and getting them acclimated to the area that they're going to be living in. There's a whole chain of um, support systems that these teams have um, that, you know, once the rookies get in the building, and you got to figure it's your draft picks. Uh, plus your undrafted uh, free agent players. So, you know, you're talking about 20 players or so, basically, roughly. Uh, 20 guys that, um, you know, that you're trying to ease into the whole be being an NFL player, going from college to the NFL. It's not always easy. It looks so glamorous. It looks so fun. And you're making a lot of money. And, and, and a lot of that is true, but it's also a job. And it's also a dramatic lifestyle change. All of a sudden, you do have money in your pocket, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you're literally living on your own, trying to fend for yourself. And then a lot of times, in a foreign city, a completely new place, environment, you know? And so uh, the good teams understand how to have infrastructure in place uh, to really ease these players into things. Um, and it is, it's, it's always fascinating to, to watch it all kind of play out, the bonding that happens uh, during this time of year and the pride that rookies take in their class. It's kind of like, you know, your, your, your freshman year uh, in high school or in college, you know, and, and, and your crew that, 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 you're, that you're with um, and, and you hope that everybody sees their way through, but there's always that pride of being the class of what a 2020 or the class of 2016. And, um, you know, that draft, the, the draft cl class and really the rookie uh, class that you're a part of um, from day one and you know you'd be surprised some of the friendships and bonds uh, that 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 get, that get, get developed excuse me and not only that but the pride in it how they kind of stay connected I remember talking to uh, Alec Ingold um, and you know he was talking about the pride that his 2019 class uh, had amongst themselves and it was a pretty deep class you know with Cleve Farrell and Max Crosby uh, and Foster Moreau and, and, you know, on and on, Josh Jacobs, and how they had each other's back and how they pushed each other and how there was peer pressure in a positive way um, and how there was a little bit of, you know, bantering, you know, when, when, they, when, when you went off on your own, which happens, obviously, in the offseason. Hey, man, uh, you hitting the weights. This is what I did today. What would you do today? You know, and, and trying to make sure that everybody uh, is doing what they need to do so that when they hit the ground, they hit the ground running, and that includes... You know, a day like tomorrow. Um, yes, the Raiders have been, as as everybody else in the league, have been going through uh, you know OTAs phase one, uh, which was mostly just conditioning work with the strength and conditioning coach. Players were allowed to get on the field without coaches, um, you know, position coaches and guys like that. I'm sure strength and conditioning coaches are allowed there to kind of go through some agility drills and get the body kind of back acclimated and, and um, you know, uh, push along that, that, that football, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, health and, and getting your football and body, getting your body in football shape. Then phase two, uh, now you're allowed to get onto the field, uh, not, it, it's, it's separated from offense and defense, so there's no actual structured kind of practices. Uh, between the offense and defense, uh, but you're, you know, John Gruden and the coaching staff is out there working with players and position groups 
um, but it's all kind of separated. And it all kind of culminates the off-season program um, beginning tomorrow and for the next month. Uh, not every day for the next month. It's just during the week. They have it very structured. You're only allowed to practice a certain amount of time and a certain amount of uh, hours. Uh, but I think um, for however however many days per week that players are in the building um, during this phase, it's six hours per day. So six hours of, of work per day. Um, yes, it's voluntary. But as we've mentioned, uh, voluntary is really just semantics. If it means something to you and you're not quite sure... Um, whether you've solidified your spot or not, uh, it behooves you to be involved. Let's put it that way. And and even for the guys that Derek Carr is out there, you know, um, uh, Patrick Mahomes is out there. Aaron Donald is participating in his because they understand the importance, not just individually, but in terms of team building. You're, you're trying to win games. You know, you're trying to win games. You're trying to further your career. You're trying to make money. There's a lot of um, factors that are playing into this uh, above and beyond well it's voluntary I just want to sit on the beach or, or just do my own thing well, that's great if you want to do that and if you have that kind of clout more power to you I heard um, somebody uh, a, a former player talking about how when he was with the with the Baltimore Ravens guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed they, they, they generally would skip um, you know OTAs until um, you know, the mandatory minicamp at the end of phase three. And, and that's fine. I get it. I understand it. Those guys have, had developed by then, that point in their career, a trust factor. There was no questioning their availability. There was no questioning their commitment. There was no questioning their production. There was no questioning um, you know, how much it meant to them. Zero. Their places on the team were more than solidified. They'd earned that trust. That's what life is kind of all about. You earn it, then you get it. You don't just demand it and expect it right off the bat. That's not how life works. Um, so yeah, there there is a, um, just like in any realm of any life, of work or life or anything, there's gonna be, you know, kind of a, a, a structure, you know, and, and, and there's gonna be certain guys that are, that are treated a little bit differently because they've earned that. Um, it's not, you know, you, you want to say fair or not fair. I think it's absolutely fair. You earn that kind of trust, and then you have uh, the confidence in your coaches for, for you to be able to pick up the phone and say, Coach, you know I'm going to be fine. And the coach said, I, I, totally, I totally get it. Uh, do your thing. We'll see you in, in, in minicamp. But not everybody is, um, you know, uh, has, has earned that kind of trust or clout. You work hard to get that kind of clout. Um, and so I and I respect anyone who who decides to do it. My problem, um, and it's, it's I've, I've verbalized it uh, pretty well, is that guys like J.C. Tread are trying to um, kind of force his hand on players that don't necessarily have that clout and trying to dictate to them a course of action that I felt. And I think the numbers around the league are su suggesting that you know um, that that we were kind of on the right track on this one They're trying to dictate to them um, to, to not take advantage of something that's very very important to a lot of young players in this league and just a lot of players in general in this league um, that are on a continual quest to get better and to solidify their spots and to make their mark and yes to earn money and to win football games it all goes hand in hand this is a business nothing is given and especially um, you know when you're talking about 90 players across the league in each 
organization right now. I think that's where they're they're kind of at or so. That's usually how much it is, is, is 90 players. You do the math. There's 90 players competing for 53 spots on a roster in any given building across the league. But if you really want to put that in perspective, of those 53 open spots that 90 players are competing for, there's probably 10 in any given building, maybe some, you know, some less, uh, others more, but roughly around 10 per, build, per, per building that's legit open for consideration. Uh, when I look at the Raiders, uh, I think that draft class um, is, is fairly set. You know, a guy like Morrissey, the, the center from, from, uh, from uh, the University of Pittsburgh, uh, I think he makes it. I think all the dra- I think all the Raider draft picks make the team this year in some form or fashion. I also think that a couple of um, undrafted free agents, Darius Stills from from West Virginia, have a really good shot at also making uh, the team. Of that practice or of, the, of those undrafted free agents, uh, I think a bunch of them are going to be uh, in line for a practice squad uh, spot. You know, you kind of want to. Um, keep that going a little bit and, and have a development program uh, going on. But that's, so that's, okay, um, you know, was it seven, let's just say seven draft picks and maybe two or three undrafted free agents. That's 10 players uh, right there that are going to make the team. And that's, that's part of my calculus to get to about 43, 45 or so that are, that are fairly certain to make this team. There's eight other spots if you get to 45 through that calculus. There's eight other spots that are up for grabs, and that's where the Matt Dickersons and the Keelan Dosses and the yes, David Irving was part of that was part of that uh, grouping. Um, guys that that you know have a chance to earn a spot on an NFL team, and um, and 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 this is a, a valuable part of time, part of the calendar for those type of players but it's also you know and uh if you guys want to give us a call please please uh, do at 702-365-9200 what i want to talk about is a um when we get out there this week and we being the media we finally get a chance to uh, to take a look at things who do you think is going to be the lighting up at first team uh, perimeter cornerback trayvon mullen uh, i think is solidified uh, at one perimeter cornerback spot what about the other one david arnett Casey Hayward, and then what happens uh, in the slot? Um, I mean, Robertson does maybe Keelan, or excuse me, does maybe um, uh, David Arnett or Casey Hayward move over to the slot? Um, you know, so I'm really interested to see how that looks uh, when we finally get in there. Do I read a whole lot into the into the depth chart right now? Yes and no. Uh, I think there's going to be some mixing and matching, um, but it, I think the I think. As these next four weeks unfold, uh, who gets the most time at any of those given positions, especially with the first team, and then starts kind of who else works their way into some of the sub packages, is going to be a pretty good indication of what this is going to look like um, later on. So, um, you know, when training camp opens and then when the season opens, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Monitor. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. 
Stevie Wonder. Well, the underrated. I, I mean, I, it's hard to say that Stevie Wonder is underrated uh, because he's just a Hall of Famer, uh, but I still don't think that the younger generation, at least now, understands how talented Stevie Wonder really, 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 really is. He is groundbreaking and tremendous, and that's a great uh, song. Brings back a lot of great memories because it was in a couple of key movies, and uh, so always, always good to hear that song. Um, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Um, gonna go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line. Tim is in Texas, um, and he wants to talk about training camp. How you doing, Tim? How you doing? I was just, uh, uh, I was just gonna ask, like, have you? I know y'all probably haven't seen any, been able to really see anything or whatever. But what, where, where do you think they're gonna be really having uh, Diablo playing? Um, I think that he's, uh, by the way, the Raiders uh, have just announced um, that they are, uh, uh, they just signed Alex Leatherwood, their first round pick, so um, um, that's good news for the Raiders. Uh, get the young tackle from Alabama uh, into the building uh, as quickly as possible and uh, get that taken away, so sorry to, sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, but as far as D, uh, uh, Divine Diablo, uh, they're moving him from safety um, to uh, to linebacker, so um, he's gonna he's gonna uh, nowadays. And, and Tanner Muse made a great point to me uh, when I talked to him about this uh, not too long ago. But nowadays, you know, this isn't like college where you have ninety guys, hundred guys in the in the building, and that you have like this endless amount of players to go to in emergency situations, including walk-ons and all that kind of stuff, freshman class, all that sort of stuff. You got fifty-three players on your roster. Uh, that's not a lot when you really think about it. So. Um, a guy like Divine Diablo, he's going to uh, primarily move to Will Linebacker, but I guarantee you he's going to learn all three linebacker spots because you have to do that. You know, uh, when you start thinking about your three starters and probably three backups, may, you know, maybe, um, all those three backups, if, if it even gets to that, need to know how to play all three positions because at any moment they may need, need to play it. But to answer your question, and I watched... Uh, a lot of tape of, uh, of Diablo after the Raiders uh, drafted him um, uh, last April. He profiles. I mean, he's this dude is every bit as big as the six foot three, two forty that he's listed. He is a big old football player, but he also runs and um, plays with an intelligent. There were plays that he made defensively where he just read the situation beautifully. Uh, in terms of his drops, in terms of his coverage, in terms of his um, you know breaking down the run game and being involved in that, uh, so you look at him and even though he did play safety in college, linebacker is going to be his position in the NFL, and um, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty decent uh, player. Uh, there's a lot of history now, especially with Gus Bradley, the Raiders' defensive coordinator, but that's not exclusive to him. Uh, there's a lot of um, recent track record, I should say, of the NFL understanding how important those linebacker positions are uh, in terms of coverage uh, and staying on the field and not always having to substitute out for them, um, especially when other teams go hurry up and go up tempo and you know they're looking to um, uh, to create as many favorable matchups as they possibly can. And one of the things that you do the, where you automatically attack is getting faster players on slower linebackers. Um, that's 
you know, that's 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 a that's a matchup that you're always going to look for. So it behooves these linebackers to be able to run like wide receivers and running backs and, and tight ends. And so, um, how do you do that? I mean, there's it's a there's there's a uh, physical aspect to it um, that sometimes just doesn't add up for these bigger players against you know smaller, faster players in, in, in coverage. So what what the NFL is doing is taking safeties, bigger safeties, and moving them up to linebacker in the NFL because in college and, and their body types, they've been able to to to, uh, to pass defend, to also be able to be tough enough to to support and run support. Um, so that's kind of the trend that's happening right now, and you see it across the NFL. You saw it last year with the Raiders with Tanner Muse. Unfortunately for Tanner, uh, he got hurt um, during. Uh, he basically reaggravated a toe injury that had been bugging him uh, since Clemson. He wasn't able to get on the field. He had season-ending toe surgery, but that was a plan with him. Uh, Tanner Muse was a um, you know college safety, and he moved to linebacker uh, in the NFL. And so we'll see what that transition looks like when Tanner is, is, is able to get on the field. He's back healthy now. I'm really interested to see what Tanner Muse uh, has to bring to the table. But also a guy like uh, Divine Diablo is now moving to linebacker. We'll get our first look at him, um, you know, hopefully uh, early this week uh, to see where he is. Did you have any other question about training camp or position battles? Doesn't look like he uh, is, is uh, hung around. Uh, hopefully you heard the answer, um, you know, uh, listening uh, on the radio or um, or live the live stream. But yeah, this is an important time, and um, you know, we saw last year with guys like Damon Arnett, with guys like um, Tanner Muse, that with guys like Lynn Bowden Jr. that didn't have this foundation to build on uh, in in OTAs in the off season. Um, it just didn't. It just didn't. Uh, help them in their in, in their moves to other positions. Lynn Mountain Jr. from wide receiver and quarterback to running back. Um, Tanner Muse, he got hurt. That was a separate uh, situation. But Amik Robertson going from perimeter um, linebacker to uh, uh, or excuse me, from perimeter cornerback to slot cornerback. So uh, this is a really important time of year for all those guys. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line to welcome in our good friend uh, Sam Gordon from um, the Las Vegas Review Journal, my teammate over at the uh, the RJ. You could follow him uh, or catch all of his stuff. Just go to Vegas Nation um, or VegasNation.com, the app uh, Vegas Nation. You could read all his stuff, not just about Raiders, but the Aces, UNLV, boxing. Uh, Sam has his uh, his finger on uh, a lot of things going on around here uh, in Las Vegas. Sam, how are you doing, man? What's up? Doing well. Doing well. Appreciate it, man. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Raiders just made it official um, with uh, with Alex Leatherwood. Um, so good, you know, good to get the rookie, especially somebody that um, you know is going to be counted on in a way that uh, Alex Leatherwood is going to be counted on uh, to get him uh, signed, sealed, and delivered, and, and out there, and, and remove any doubt or of a holdout or anything like that. Um, get the young man in the building and uh, and start his future, which probably includes being the day one starting right tackle uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, huge. It's huge. Like you said, it was you know a formality, but but no holdout. Like you said, it's not going to be any funny to come um, come this summer or going into training camp. And he 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 fills a need. Steps in as a day one day one starter. Um, I thought you know looking at film, a tremendous run blocker and, and a developing pass blocker who's going to be able to hold down that right side of the offensive line 
um, you would think, you know, if, if he performs at a high level, you have your right tackle uh, for the next, you know, eight to ten years or possibly longer. And and I think Vinny, as a whole, uh, the offensive line, obviously a big makeover, uh, losing or trading Rodney Hudson, trading Gabe Jackson. So it's going to be a new unit, and there's going to be a lot of responsibility with Alex Brotherwood to help anchor that unit opposite Colton Miller, who, who just inked an extension uh, earlier this offseason to, to keep him with the club moving forward. So really like what the Raiders did at the off- on their offensive line. They're younger now. I think they're a little bit more athletic, but they still have enough veterans and a veteran enough presence to, to, to be a cohesive unit to gel. And then, of course, with Tom Cable in the mix, you, you have to expect improvement uh, from, from some of these young guys in development moving forward. So um, I think it's huge. Like, you know, again, a, a formality, but nonetheless, you never know sometimes with, with first-round picks and, and how the business goes down behind closed doors. And it's good that the Raiders and, and Leatherwood can come to a, a deal right now and, and get it out of the way where, where both sides are happy and can focus on football, um, going into OTAs and then going into training camp, more importantly. Do you think um, Raider Nation and the football world uh, in, in general, uh, at least the pundits uh, among us, uh, have gotten over the reach aspect of, uh, of, of Alex Leatherwood? I know there was, uh, there was some shock uh, on draft night You know when the, when the Raiders made him uh, their first-round pick. I think since then uh, there's been some you know, information that's come out that maybe Alex Leatherwood was, was much more highly thought of around the league than maybe some of the draft experts uh, thought, but um, do you think that that's behind everything, or is he always going to be kind of under that microscope a little bit? Um, I would hope it's behind everything, because this is an All-American and an Outland Trophy winner who helped anchor the best offensive line in college football. He's a really, really good football player, and it's, you know, it's not... I get, you know, I got some of it. I understood some of the rhetoric, right? You, you, you still had Christian Darrison on the board. There was a thought that maybe they go with, you know, a highly, a more highly touted offensive lineman. But it's not Alice Leatherwood's like fault that the Raiders took him where, where he did, so where they did. So with that in mind, I think we have to see how this thing shakes out. Who knows? Like he could end up being definitively the best tackle in the class, or he could struggle. We're, we're going to see. Like you, like you like to say, Benny, it's all about what happens on the grass. But I think there's always kind of a rush to judgment with draft picks, like. Oh, you know, that, that was a reach or, or that bad pick. And, like, the truth is we don't know until, you know, not even – sometimes we don't even know during a player's rookie year. Sometimes we know during their second year or third year. And, and I think we need, to, we need to be cautious and take you – know, let's, let's see how he performs. Let's see how he performs and what it looks like. Um, and with that in mind, you know, I'm, I'm personally – I don't think it's – it's not a huge deal at this point anymore. They got the guy they wanted to be their right tackle of the future um, from an established program who's had a ton of success who is an excellent run blocker, and we know the Raiders want the running game to be a big part of their offense. If he comes in and performs and is, and, and is excellent, nobody's going to care. And, and if he doesn't, then there's going to be some of that flack down the road. But I think at this point in time, in mid-May, before, before Leatherwood even played his first NFL snap, um, ridiculing the, the pick at this point feels a little ridiculous. Yeah, maybe you could have got him a little later, but maybe not. And if he's the guy you want and if he's the guy – that you believe is, is that franchise cornerstone on the offensive line, that by all means, go and get him. And that's what the Raiders did. We're talking to Sam Gordon. You can follow him at by Sam Gordon. Uh, he covers the Raiders. He covers uh, the Las Vegas Aces. He covers boxing. And he does a great job in everything that he does. Uh, Sam, I didn't get a chance to talk to you uh, last week um, when the news came down uh, that, that David Irving um, was released uh, by the Raiders. And, you know, kind of come to find out uh, that 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 David, David Irving had just decided uh, or opted against, you know, um, showing up for for 
we know they're voluntary, but they're important for uh, for a lot of players um, across the league. But he wasn't showing up uh, to OTAs. So um, he, it sounds like, first of all, were you surprised? And B, um, when you're in that position, um, don't you feel like you have to do everything that you possibly can uh, to put your best foot forward uh, when you're trying to compete and get yourself back, your career, really, uh, back online? Yeah, I, I, to answer your first question, Vinny, I was definitely surprised because he, you know, as we know, based on his days with the Dallas Cowboys, particularly that 2018 season where he had seven sacks in eight games, this is, you know, a player with a tremendous amount of talent, a tremendous amount of ability and upside, and a guy that's produced at a, at a high level before. And you would think, you know, he's still only 27. In theory, entering his physical prime or in the prime of his career, you would think that this is an, uh, an opportunity. It was an opportunity and a spot for him to, like you said, get, get, get back going, you know, reignite his career, and continue to realize his potential uh, as a contributing, you know, effective pass rusher in this league. But this isn't, you know, the Raiders aren't in the same situation on their defensive line that they were last year, where, you know, last year he had his opportunity, came in and played a couple games. Like, they, they souped up their defensive line and added a ton of players, I think in part, to kind of create competition across that defensive line. Of course, they want to bolster the pass rush, and I think they did that by virtue of adding Anika Gakwe, um, and then everything else is, you know, about depth. But... It's about creating competition, and I think at this situation, you know, at this stage of his career, where he's not, you know, he's not a Khalil Mack, he's not an Aaron Donald, he's not a Shaq Barrett, where, where he's proved himself over the course of a number of years. Where, hey, guys who produce and are at a, high, you know, produce at a high level, you know, they come in and shape and are, are, are checking all the boxes X, Y, and Z. When they build that sweat equity, maybe it's okay for them to skip out on some of the voluntary stuff, or you understand, you have a passport. It's not a huge deal, but. That wasn't the case with David Irving. Um, so with that in mind, it's, it's understandable that, uh, that the team wanted to part ways with him. I think it's an unfortunate situation um, for both sides because, again, I, I think this is a guy that's been a good football player um, when he's been on the football field and, and when he's been locked in. He's been very, very productive. But uh, a bigger picture, I think there's enough depth on the defensive line where the Raiders can figure it out. And, you know, hopefully um, from Irving's standpoint, he ends up in a situation where well, he can if he wants to remain committed to football. He ends up in a situation where he gets to do that and gets to compete. But it, it wasn't here, and, and based on him not showing up and other guys showing up, you were mentioning on our podcast this morning, Darius Pylon, who another guy like um, like Irving had a ton of played at a high level with the Chargers, was out of football for a little bit. Like you said, like I said, and you mentioned on our podcast that he's going hard over an OTA or at at, at voluntary workouts right now. Um, busting his tail, and that's kind of the standard that the Raiders, I believe, wanted to create by creating all this competition on the defensive line. So, definitely a surprise, but at this juncture, it feels like it's the best move for both parties. Absolutely, and um, you know, Sam, I know that uh, this is uh, very, very early in the process, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as it relates to the defense, and as it relates to Gus Bradley and his new coaching staff, um, but I think that you know, uh, where guys are lining up, what it looks like, uh, when we get in there uh, to take a look at it this week, um, is, is is important and it and it foretells you know uh, what we might see down the line a little bit. Um, but from your perspective, even at this stage, um, this early stage, what is it that you'd like to see, and what is what is it that you think you're going to see? Um, you know, when 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 we when we get a, a look at where the what this defense is doing and what it looks like at this stage. Well, I think um, I think at this juncture, I, I think based on the moves they made this offseason, um, of course you address your needs, you get your you get your free safety and Trevon Merrick, and then you, you bolster your defensive line. So I think 
first and foremost, I want to see what that defensive line looks like, what that depth looks like, and, and who's who's playing where, who's doing what. Because without a without any kind of semblance of a pass rush, I just don't see an avenue for for the defense being very good. And like I mentioned, I think the defensive the the pass rush is just going to be more effective. Um, well, basically, it, it's going to it, it can't it really can't be any worse. But they did add a lot of personnel, including the Gakway, who who is an impact pass rusher, who's been an impact pass rusher throughout the course of his career. So curious to see what that depth looks like and how, how it kind of manifests itself um, going into training camp and, and who emerges as starters, who emerges as rotation guys, as situational guys, and then going from there. And then from the second, um, when it comes to the defense, you know, what's that secondary going to look like? Um, you know, Gus Bradley, uh, historically, that I think that's been his bread and butter is developing, you know, identifying, drafting, and developing defensive backs. You have Merrick who's going to step in um, day one and be the free safety of the future. You have Jonathan Abram coming back in a crucial year for him now that he has NFL experience under his belt. Uh, you, I'm, I think I, I imagine him playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage so he can use his instincts and, and power and speed to, to make plays in the tackle box, go downhill, play against the run. And then, um, really, it's about corners, right? I think Trayvon, Trayvon Mullen is set on, on one side, but who's going to win that, that second corner job, and, and who's going to be moved inside of the squad? Is it going to be Amik Robinson? Is it going to be David Arnett? Is it going to be Casey Hayward? Like, what is that going to look like? So uh, I think what's good about the Raiders and the situation they're in right now is they, they understood clearly that defense was a need, and I think they created a lot of depth, a lot of competition, and beyond that, a lot of flexibility at key spots, namely the defensive line and the secondary, because that linebacker core, um, all things considered, was the strength of that, of that unit last year. So uh, that, I'm, I'm curious to see how how he develops and builds that defense out because ultimately um, how, how good this defense is is going to determine how far this team goes. Is it a playoff team or is it going to be a team that's dependent on David uh, on, uh, on Derek Carr to throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns every game in order to win like they were last year. So I expect the offense to be pretty good and if the defense can take a step forward, this, this should be a team that's competing for playoffs uh, in 2021. Sam, um, there was a, uh, a little incident that happened today, uh, whether it was staged or whether um, Shannon Sharp um, pulled a fast one on, on Julio Jones and yeah. got him to say something on national TV unbeknownst to him, um, Julio Jones, uh, but it looks like the foregone conclusion has become um, a darn near a fact at this point that Julio Jones is not for long in Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons need to uh, create some salary cap space. Um, Julio Jones is their highest paid or, or among their highest paid players. Uh, anyway, it looks like he's going to get traded. Okay. Uh, there's two questions I have for you. I need to, you to clear something, help clear something up. All right. So yeah. as when I mentioned the possibility of Julio Jones coming to the Raiders on Twitter, um, and for some reasons it makes for, 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 in some ways it makes a lot of sense and others it doesn't. There's a lot of money involved and whatever it's going to uh, uh, cost to go get him. Uh, could be prohibitive, so you know I'd, I'd rule. I'd, I'd classify the Raiders as a long shot at this point, um, but nevertheless, let's just say it was in the realm of possibility. Okay, yeah. I got. You, I need you to clear something up for me on Twitter. I keep getting these responses from people that you know are he's made of glass. He never plays. He's always on the sidelines. What in the world are people basing any of this on, Sam? Please help me out. I have no idea, Vinny. It's it's probably some recency bias. He did have a little bit of a nagging hamstring injury uh, in 2020, caused him to miss seven games. But but when he was available and when he was healthy, he was 86 yards a game, and that would have put him on pace for about 1,400 yards. Speaking of 1,400 yards, Vinny, that's exactly what he had done the previous six seasons. At least 1,394 yards 
in, in the previous six seasons, led the league in receiving yards twice. We know who Julio Jones is and what he's about. He's 6'3", he's 220. Even at this stage of his career, he's still got more than enough speed to get deep. He's got all the ball skills you can ever ask for. Some of the best ball skills in the history of the NFL. And he's a bona fide playmaker that can run any route on the tree. So this idea that he's injury prone, no idea where it comes from. Because in those six seasons in which he produced 1,400 yards, or roughly 1,400 yards or more in every single one of them, he played at least 14 games in all six of those years and played 16 games three times and 15 games twice. So this has been, over the course of his career, this has been, for the most part, a very durable football player who isn't, you know, he's not a finesse receiver by any means. He's taken a lot of punishment throughout the course of his career and has been able to stand tall through most of it. Now, at the age of 32, we're going into his age 32 season. Uh, yeah, he's probably not, in, he's not in, the, in, in the peak of his career anymore like he once was. But let's not act like you can't be a dynamic big-time uh, football player at, 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 at 32, that you can't be a, an impact player. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Travis Kelsey, for example, is, is going to be 32 this year. And he's as, as good as there possibly is in the NFL in terms of skill position. So uh, with that in mind, yeah, it, it, it probably is a long shot for the Raiders to go make a move for Julio Jones. But you can it's, it's, it doesn't hurt to kick the tires on it. And if the price is right and you can renegotiate that contract, because I'm sure that's what's going to ha- happen wherever he ends up going. He's on a very pricey deal, and it would make sense to, to maybe add tack on a couple more years at a lower average cost. Uh, that probably feels like the way to go. But wherever he ends up, that team is going to get a good football player, a first ballot Hall of Fame caliber wide receiver who has a bad case of been there, done that, at the highest of levels. In the Super Bowl, in the playoffs, out, outdoors, indoors, doesn't matter. Julio Jones is a, is a, is a big-time talent, and even at this stage of his career, uh, he's going to give you a lot. Uh, leads the NFL in yards per game, receiving yards per game, by a pretty wide margin, more than nine yards, more than Calvin Johnson. And we know what Kelvin Johnson did over the course of his career. So this has been one of the most productive football players in NFL history, and I definitely think he's got a couple good years left, even if he's not what he once was. Yeah, man, I, I, I'll, I'll just say this. It's, it's easy to pull the wool over people's eyes. You say something on you know, Twitter or something like that, and people just believe it and run with it. Since 2014, I'm no mathematician, but since 2014, from 2014 to 2019, that's six seasons. This dude averaged 15.5 games, 103 catches, 1,564 yards per year. That's not made of glass. That's a warrior. So I don't get it. People just, you know, don't believe everything you see on Twitter. Go do some research for crying out loud. I get it. He's 32 years old. You might have a little bit of concern from that. But there's been a whole bunch of people that have said that this guy's made of glass and uh, he's injury prone and he's he watches games from the sideline, please, for the love of you-know-what, do some research before you make yourself look like somebody that just absolutely doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, Anyway, Sam, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Always enjoy the insight. Uh, I'll see you out there, I'm sure, one day this week um, to to catch some uh, some Raiders OTAs. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see that. Uh, And we will talk to you down the road. Thanks, man. No doubt, Vinny. Anytime. I'm ready for some football just like you. Yep, absolutely. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embodder. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Out to the Raider Nation listener line. I uh, want to talk to uh, Ryan, who wants to talk about uh, Julio Jones potentially coming to the Raiders. How you doing, Ryan? 
How's it going, Vinny? How's your, how's your Monday today? So far, so good. Got a little busier with the announcement of uh, Alex Leatherwood signing his uh, rookie deal uh, with the Raiders, but it's all good. Hey, that that cat is a player. I, I, I think the nation is going to be surprised at the work ethic and actual ability uh, of Alex. So I'm excited about that. That's always awesome to hear. You know what's funny? I, I gotta I gotta sneak this in. Um, I agree with you. Um, you know, watching and doing the research and all that, he looks like he's gonna be. Uh, he's gonna. He's in a pretty good place to be a pretty good player for for a long time. But you know, when I, I was just talking a little bit earlier about how there's so many people on Twitter who, for some reason, believe Julio Jones is an injury prone player throughout his career, which nothing can be further from the truth. So when you start seeing stuff like that. And you start seeing also the criticism of Alex Leatherwood. You got to wonder, okay, what are people really watching here? What do people really know? How much time are people really investigating into some of the things that they're saying? It's just, I had to just throw that out there. But today has been a pretty uh, big eye-opener for me that people think that Julio Jones is literally uh, some piece of glass who's never been able to get through an NFL season. That's all the guy does, except for last year. That's the one year where... Uh, and it happens from time to time where he did suffer some injuries and didn't get a full season in. Well, I mean, Vinny, you know it's a what have you done for me lately world. But <laughs> yes. for, a, for, for a reminder to the nation, Julio Jones is probably the best receiver in the NFL last 12 years. And yeah. I, I don't think you can, can debate that. I think him and Antonio Brown, to me, were head and shoulders above the competition. Um, and, and as far as his durability... The guy is, I mean, how durable can he be? He's an absolute mammoth. He, he's a, a, like a equivalent for a LeBron James in the football sense for me to where if that cat is on your field, almost how I feel about Darren Waller, to be honest. I think Darren is entering that, that space in his career where if he is on the field for you on Sunday, you have a chance to go and win that game every single Sunday. And Julio, durability, uh, I, I don't understand. I think that that's a you know that that's a fantasy football thing for me. I don't know if that's a real football fan you know perspective to have because uh, he, he's one of the best players to, to ever play the position of all time, and that's just up for no debate at all. Yeah, so and to take it a step further, not be available. Right. To, to take that a step further, because uh, you mentioned Darren Waller, and this was what I was thinking when you start kind of putting it together and just envisioning it. Now it is a long shot, um, you know. So we'll just we'll just keep it at that. Uh, but if it, if it did come to fruition, when you t- start talking about Julio Jones uh, in a tandem with with a Darren Waller, and now you got Henry Ruggs taking the top off, and you know the slot wide receivers that you have, and the running backs that you have, uh, and you have a a, a, a quarterback with the capabilities of a, of a Derek Carr who really understands uh, matchup uh, problems and, and being able to exploit uh, matchup uh, the most favorable matchups on the on the field. You start thinking about all those things and about all those weapons, and all of a sudden that offense looks fairly unstoppable. Elite. That something of that sort to me takes the Raiders into the elite range of NFL weapons. One thing I love that John Gruden is doing is he's balancing out the room. I think the Raiders have, I think they have a top three uh, tight end room. I think they have a top three running back room. I think, you know, depending on what they end up doing with Marcus at the quarterback position, I think they have, as far as the room in general, I think that that's a top four, top five QB room. And I think the biggest lacking thing on that offense is that that receiver room. And I know bringing in John and, and Willie was, you know, those are good veteran um, additions. 
some of the John Brown tape for me. I, I watched a little bit of tape for him over the last few years. And one thing you notice in the league outside of scheme is when good players play bad, it's probably usually up to injuries, you know, outside of the scheme. So I, I don't think John was healthy at the end of the Buffalo tenure. And, and Stephon and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, what's the little receiver there? Cole Beasley, he's kind of coming into his own too. So I can see why John got phased out there. So I'm excited to see what John can do. But the Raiders are missing a guy who can run every single route at an elite level. I think that they're, that's still lacking in the offense. And, and a guy like Julio would uh, – Oh man, Vinny! I, I think that that would t- that, that that's yeah. John Gruden's vision right there. That's 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 what AB was supposed to be. And I think care with the care, uh, the you know, the behind the scenes. I think Julio's a little put, put a little a lot more put together than AB was. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Thanks for the call, man. Uh, always uh, don't be a stranger. Uh, give us a call anytime. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonner.